Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading is from Micah 1, uh, 7, 1 through 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat. No first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there was no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confession is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, at the end of this reading, Micah says that he's waiting for you. He's, he's looking to the God of his salvation. He's looking at you. He's waiting for you. He feels his great need for you. There's no confidence in himself, but all confidence is in you. And he's confident that you will answer him. And so, Father, that's where we aspire to be. We aspire to be a people who look away from ourselves and look to you. And so, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit. Um, we recognize that your spirit is among us. And we ask that your spirit will now be very active among us that you will teach us your word, um, that you will, it, by your word, show us yourself in the face of Jesus Christ. And will you address all the things that need addressing in our lives as we look away from ourselves and look at you? So be the main actor now. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, great to see you. Please uh, turn in your service sheets uh, one page back, one or two pages back. Uh, we're going to be looking at both those readings from the book of Micah. Um, we're looking at the Old Testament book of Micah. We have been for a few weeks. And um, if you take a look at the first reading, uh, Micah chapter 6, look at the very last verse that's listed in that reading, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Um, this is probably the most famous verse in Micah. If you've been around church land for a while, you've probably heard this. Um, and it, it may well be the main point of Micah, or at least one way to say the main point. But anyways, it says this. Uh, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, that verse is gold for all sorts of reasons, but one reason it's gold is that it's refreshingly straightforward, isn't it? Like, do you want to know what God wants from you? Here's three things. Doesn't that sound great? Here's three things that God wants from you. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And I read that and I think, oh, fantastic. I've been looking for three points, you know? Um, and it's, you know, it's great. It's clear. Let's get busy, everybody. Let's just get busy doing that. But if I'm honest, it's the first two lines that really pop for me, especially the first one. So the first one, do justice. Man, that just kind of, boom, that pops. That, that is, it feels relevant. It's, man, yes, that's something we need to do. Then the second one, do justice, and then love kindness. There's part of me that kind of gets to that one, and I kind of go, yeah, totally. Like, kindness is good, so is sugar. We should do that, right? Um, and then, but then, that third one kind of trails off just a little bit, the walking humbly with your God, there's a little bit to which I, it kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me in quite the same way that do justice and then to a lesser extent, love kindness does. And, and part of it, there's, part, there's just a little bit of me that, that kind of, you know, everybody knows that a good sermon and a good slogan comes in three parts, right? Um, and so you've got do justice, love kindness, and then you really need to have a third this is just, it seems like you really need to have a third. And so walking humbly with your God, it, it sort of rolls off the tongue and it resolves the, the need for threes, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't grab me quite the way the first two does. Now, what I want to show you and argue today is that that line of thought that goes through Jim's head, I don't know if it does for you, is completely wrong. In fact, it's exactly wrong. Exactly opposite. So Micah, the author of this book, is a prophet in ancient Israel about 700 years before Jesus. And he's writing at a time when Israel is just bereft of justice and devoid of kindness. And the reason they've lost touch with both justice and kindness is because they've stopped knowing God. They've kind of left off walking humbly with their God. And what I'd like to show you today is that according to Micah, the path to renewal for Israel will be for them to first look back to the Lord and learn again how to walk humbly with their God. And that is going to be the key to loving kindness and doing justice. In other words, we will never learn to do justice or love kindness until we learn to walk humbly with our God. It's the third one that's the key to the first two. 
Now that's what I want to show you today. And it seems to me that it's really important that we learn this. Um, I don't know what 2020 has been like for you. I think for a lot of us, it's been awful. Um, maybe it's been great for you, but that's fine. But, but all this year, I've been asking the question, Lord, like, what are you doing? Or, Lord, what do you want to accomplish in this? I, I have an assumption that, Lord, you want to teach your church something. You want to do something. You want to transform us. You want to work in us. So what is it? I don't want to waste the pain of this year. It's, too, been, too, it's been too costly. So, Lord, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to change in my family? What do you want to change in our church? What do you want to change in our city? What do you want to church in the, uh, change in the wider church? What do you want to do? What are you doing? Well, Micah was having a bad year too. Only his 2020 is worse than our 2020. He was in the midst of an actual horrific national catastrophe where everything lives quite literally about ready to fall apart. And when his society is just falling apart and going to pieces all around him, I want you to see where Micah ends up. Turn over to the second reading and the last verse in the second reading. Chapter seven, verse seven, Micah says this. This is where he lands. He says, but for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Here's what I want you to see. Micah's experience of profound crisis drove him to look at the Lord again and looking at the Lord to learn how to walk with the Lord again and to wait for the Lord to rescue him and renew him and his nation. And Micah's hope that led him through suffering that is greater than ours was that the Lord would hear him and that the Lord would act. And the reason we have Micah today, the reason we're reading Micah today at all is because the Lord answered that prayer. The Lord proved himself faithful. And so Emmanuel, I'm praying that the Lord will do the same thing in us in this year. That 2020, with all of its grief and all of its pain, will be a year where we learn together how to walk humbly with our God again. And part of the reason that's so important is that walking humbly with our God will be precisely the way in which we become a people of kindness and a people of justice. Now, that's what I want to show you. Let me try to flesh it out just a little bit. Um, go back now to, again, to the first reading, to chapter 6. And let me set the stage. So God and Israel, in chapter 6, and actually in all of Micah, they're in an argument. So the Lord uh, is bringing an indictment against Israel. But on the other hand, Israel's not too impressed with the Lord either. They're kind of both irritated at each other. Um, Bruce Walke, who's a world uh, expert on Micah, uh, Bruce Walke says that this bit of Micah was almost certainly set right at the point in which the Assyrian Empire was invading Palestine. And, and everything was really, really bad in an extreme way. So the Assyrian Empire had invaded the northern part of Israel. Um, and now they were sweeping into the southern region and they had been, they were undefeated to this point and they were at this moment surrounding and besieging Jerusalem. And so when Micah, Micah and the people of Israel or the people of Jerusalem or the people of Judah, Michael or Micah and his people are literally looking over the walls of Jerusalem, seeing an army out, out there that has defeated every other uh, city that they've come against. So they're watching their society 
absolutely unravel. And apparently, some of the Israelites around Micah were kind of asking, listen, what do we need to do to get God off his couch to help us? Like, what do we need to do? Everybody's got a price. It's as if Israel is saying, everybody's got a price. What do we need to pay God to get God to start helping? Now, I take that partially from verse 7. Take a look at chapter 6, verse 7. And this is Israel speaking, not Micah. This is Israel speaking. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of oil, maybe? Um, Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, says Israel? Now, they're using hyperbolic language, right? Um, Nobody can give rivers of oil. Uh, Nobody's going to give thousands of rams in sacrifice. However... Uh, during Micah's life, one of the kings of Judah did sacrifice some of his sons. He killed some of his sons to try to get the gods to do something for him. It was a terribly grim time. But look at those verses again. Can you see in verse 7, also in verse 6, can you hear the sneer in their language? Israel thinks God must be pretty stingy, so they got to pay him a lot to get him off his couch to help. But then I want you to see something underneath that. They think they have to kind of buy God off with their sacrifices. And that indicates that their relationship with God is about power and coercion. It's not about love. It's not about trust. And it's not about affection. They're looking at God and they're like, listen, God's got power, apparently. So he claims. And we need that power. So whatever, I guess we've got to do, jump through some hoops, do some sacrifices. We've got to hire him. We've got to do something that will coerce him to engaging our lives so that he'll help us and we can use him. Now, you've got to see that Israel is very religious at this point. They, they believe in God. They're neither atheists nor secularists. But nevertheless, they, when they look at God, they're suspicious. They treat God as if he's either stingy or exploitative. In any event, they think he charges an awful lot for his services. And they think that they've got to buy him off in order to get him to be useful to them. What I'm trying to help you see is that Israel's religious, but they're not. That doesn't mean that they're walking with God. They're invoking his name, but they've forgotten his character. They don't know God at all, but they are trying to buy him off. Now, I'll come back to this in a few minutes and explain why this is so important. But I want you first to watch how this view of God wrecks their entire way of relating to each other and their entire society. Turn now over to the second reading, chapter 7. Now, this is Micah's voice, and he is weeping and he is lamenting how his people are treating each other. Start with verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2, he says, Micah says, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul, and thus they weave it together. Skip to verse 5. 
Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats his father with contempt. And the daughter rises up against her mother. And the daughter-in-law rises up against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now, can you see how Mike is saying everybody's turning on each other and society is crumbling? And their relationship with each other is a mirror of their relationship with the Lord. Here's what I mean. Their relationship with each other is now about power and coercion. It is not about love. It is not about affection. It is not about trust. There's a whole lot of exploitation and betrayal and cynicism. Can you see? They're relating to each other in much the same way that they are relating to God. They look at God and they think that God is an exploitative, untrustworthy tyrant that's got to be bought off. But now they're actually acting in just that way towards one another. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a uh, famous preacher, said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Uh, I think Micah would agree with that. I think the whole Bible agrees with that. I think Micah might add this. What comes to your mind when you think about God will shape how you relate to the people around you. Israel was bereft of just, justice and, and devoid of mercy and kindness because they had stopped walking humbly with their God. And they saw God as somebody who was an exploitative tyrant that they had to buy off. But that set the tone for how they related to each other from that point onward. And therefore, the only way to do justice and love kindness is for Israel to learn again who God is and then learn how to walk humbly with him. And that then will impact how they relate to each other. Now, here's part of why I say that. Go back now to chapter 6, the first reading. And watch what the Lord says and what the Lord reminds Israel of. Chapter 6, verse 3, he says this. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. See, pause. The Lord can see that Israel is not pleased with him. Verse 4. The Lord says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I set before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Verse 5. Oh, my people, remember. And then he goes on and he references a number of times when the Lord protected them from their enemies when they were in the desert after leaving Egypt. Now think with me here. Um, if you were here with us a, a year ago, we were studying uh, the book of Exodus. And the story of Exodus, we said a year ago, was uh, one of the ways that the Lord introduced himself to Israel. Israel didn't really know much about the Lord before the Exodus. And the Lord introduced himself to Israel by invading Egypt, so to speak, and rescuing Israel from slavery. The Lord did not exploit Israel. The Lord did the opposite. The Lord liberated Israel. And after the Lord liberated Israel from slavery, he took them into the desert. And there in the desert, he taught them about his character, both by teaching them through Moses and, and to some extent Aaron and to some extent Miriam, and also by demonstrating to them 
what he was like by protecting them from some of their enemies. That's what verse 4 is about. Verse 5. See, it's there in the desert that they learned, and this is important, that the Lord is full of a very specific type of love. And the Hebrew word for this very particular specific type of love is the word hesed. Now, hesed is a notoriously difficult word to translate. Here's my best description of hesed love. Hesed love is a love that is fortified by loyalty, certified by promise, unyielding in adversity, and sacrificial in mercy. It's a love that's fortified by loyalty, certified by promise, unyielding in adversity, and sacrificial in mercy. Let me explain. First of all, the Lord's hesed love is deeply fortified by loyalty. Here's what I mean. The Lord in his love is bound to his people in a kind of unbreakable bond. Now, human love doesn't always work that way, right? A lot of human love is self-serving. Maybe not all of it, but much of it is. Uh, We love things that we like. We like things that we're attracted to. We're attracted to things in one way or another because they're useful to us or they serve us. Our love is very often self-serving, but the Lord's hesed love is deeply loyal to his people. The Lord's hesed love makes him bound to his people in a way that he will never fully abandon them. Even when they run away from him, he chases them down. And part of the reason that the Lord's hesed love is fortified by loyalty is that it's certified by promise. Um, Back in the Exodus, the Lord didn't, wasn't obligated to liberate Israel from slavery. He liberated Israel from slavery because he had promised to do so hundreds of years before to Abraham. He'd made a covenant, a promise with Abraham, and hesed love always keeps its promises. And because hesed love is certified by promise, the Lord's hesed love is also unyielding in the face of adversity. Um, Egypt and all its coercive power could not dissuade God from keeping his promises to Abraham and rescuing Israel. And then finally, hesed love is always sacrificial in showing mercy. And this one's interesting. Um, Bruce Waltke, once again, a scholar uh, about the book of Micah, he says that hesed love is particularly attentive to the weak and to the oppressed and those who cannot save themselves. The Lord's hesed love always enjoys using all the Lord's infinite power to rescue those who are weak and oppressed and who cannot save themselves and those who do not deserve to be saved. Now, the Lord introduced Israel to his hesed love when he liberated Israel from Egypt. You can read more about this in Exodus chapter 34. But now in Micah, the Lord wants Israel to remember all of that. It's as if he says, oh, my people, remember all that I've done. Verse five, remember my righteous acts. They displayed my hesed love. It's as if the Lord says to Israel, Israel, if you think you need to buy me off to get me to act, if you think that I'm exploiting you, then you do not know me at all. You invoke my name, but you have forgotten my character. I am the God of hesed love. Have you forgotten? It appears you have. Now, why am I talking about hesed love so much? Here's why. Look at Micah chapter six, verse eight. This is where we started. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and mark this, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Do you see the word love kindness? The word kindness is hesed in the original. Now stay with me because this is important. Remember, the Lord loved Israel with his uniquely hesed type of love. And his desire now for Israel is that they would love each other with that same hesed love. Note the connection. Their hesed, their, the way they treat each other is to be rooted in who they understand God to be. The Lord wants them to love each other with a kind of love that is fortified by loyalty and certified by promise and unyielding in adversity and sacrificial in mercy. And part of the point is that as that hesed love, they receive it from the Lord, they uh, saturate their lives in it towards each other. The more they become saturated with hesed love, the more they'll be able to recognize what real justice is and they'll be able to recognize it a mile away. Because in the Bible, justice is at least hesed love put into action at a corporate level. That's at least part of what the law of Moses is about, which is why Jesus says, if you want to understand the law of Moses, you need to understand love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it also explains Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount shows us what justice is and what hesed love is with even greater clarity. But what I want you to see right now is that according to Micah, we will never grasp justice and we will never grasp kindness until we learn to walk with the God of Hesed love. We've got to rediscover who our God is. Do you remember the night uh, that Jesus was arrested? You can read about this in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's giving his last words, so to speak. And he says, disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, says Jesus, I want you to love each other. Note the connection. Jesus says, the way I have loved, that is how you are to love one another. And remember, Jesus' love is perfect, has said love. It's fortified by loyalty. It's certified by promise. It's unyielding in adversity and it's sacrificial in mercy and it's sacrificial to the point of his own death. If you wanna see who your God is, look at the face of Jesus Christ. The, Lord's, the Lord Jesus's love calls us to love each other as he has loved us. Now in the Old Testament, the love of the Lord as he displayed it in Exodus, that was the standard for how Israel was to love each other in their society. Today, the love of Jesus on the cross is the standard for how the church is supposed to relate to each other. And I hope you can feel, Emmanuel, the magnitude of that standard. See, the thing that I find scary about Micah, especially Micah chapter 7, but many other places in Micah, is that it sounds really familiar to me. Uh, take chapter 7, verse 2. The godly have perished from the earth. There's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood for each other, and each hunts the other with a net. And then it goes on, and it talks about people just eating each other alive. And there's part of me that looks at that, and, go, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, it, it sounds a little bit too much like a news feed. But consider this, right when Israel 
was going through a catastrophe that's far worse than ours. The Lord called out to them through Micah and called them to return to him, to learn again, to walk humbly with their God. And as they walk humbly with their God, the Lord wants to teach them what hesed love looks like. And as they learn what hesed love looks like, as they receive it and then express it, that's also how they'll begin to learn what real justice is. What I'm saying is that right in the middle of Micah's terrible, terrible year, which is far worse than ours, the Lord used all the catastrophe around him to drive Micah and at least part of Israel to meet their God again. Remember where Micah ends up. Chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I will look where? I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and God will hear me. Now, Emmanuel, that's where I'm asking the Lord to drive us. Now, I, I don't know how your 2020 has been. Maybe it's been great. I hope it has. But for many of us, it's been awful. But I want you to know that terrible years can become precious gifts. Because in terrible years, the Lord can use it to shut all the doors around us until we find ourselves, perhaps almost against our will, standing before the Lord again. And there we stand before Jesus Christ. And we look at Jesus Christ and we find the only one who can really save us. We look at Jesus Christ and we find the God who's really able to hear us in the midst of our need. We look at Jesus Christ and we find a God who is full of hesed love, fortified by loyalty and uh, certified by promise and unyielding in adversity and full of sacrificial mercy. And we look at the one who gave his life to give us life without end. And the more we learn to walk closely with Jesus, what we will find is that this is the only sure and certain path to learning how to do justice and love kindness. So friends, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about Jesus Christ? Whatever that is will shape decisively how you relate to other people and how you navigate the present difficulties we face. And I want to say, Emmanuel, take 2020 and make it a year when you fill your mind once again with Jesus Christ. Don't let it be a year when you start to, 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 to doubt Jesus's goodness. Don't take Israel's path. That's what Israel did. They doubted the goodness of the Lord who had rescued them from Egypt and they led them down a path of destruction. Don't do that, Emmanuel but rather fill your mind with Jesus Christ. And when you look at your newsfeed and when you look at your social media and your heart starts to get weighed down, then set all that aside and go back to the foot of the cross. Go back to Jesus Christ. Read him and listen to him until your mind is filled with him. And when you're buffeted and confused by new ideas about justice or difficult debates about any number of things, run back to Jesus Christ, sit at his feet and let him teach you again the Ten Commandments and his Sermon on the Mount, and you will see both hesed love and justice in greater clarity. He'll teach you true discernment. Sit at his feet. Fill your mind with Jesus Christ. Sit at his feet like Micah sat at the feet of the Lord. And then when you hear people say things that just make you irate and make you want to cancel them and hate them, which is what that is, 
then run again back to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and see him loving you there right when you were his enemy, right when you deserved to be canceled by him. Stay there at the cross until you until the Lord's hesed love begins to replicate itself in your own heart, until you have been loved with the intensity of the Father's affection, which you do not deserve, but which Jesus Christ purchased at his cross. And when your heart is under the intensity of the Lord's Hesed love, then it will replicate itself in your own heart and you will begin to love your enemies. And that, friends, is when we will learn to love kindness. And that is when we will be doers of justice. So in 2020, walk humbly with Jesus and he will teach you the meaning of kindness and Hesed love. And then you will learn and you will see the nature of true justice. Lord, bring us, bring us to the foot of the cross. And let us learn from you and relearn who you are. We love you because you first loved us. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.